Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 160 of Fun with Cars for coverage of the Hungarian Grand Prix from Budapest, Hungary. It's a little bit belated, but I am still Robin Warner. And I am still Jim Lau, and I appreciate your patience with us. Uh, we actually had a delay uh, this time on the podcast for kind of a cool reason, actually. This was uh, this was not just uh, the usual scheduling conflicts and things that happened, but you, my friend, were international traveler to a uh, to a, an international motor race. Can you tell us anything about that? I can. Ooh, yes. It was the 24 Hours of Spa for the Blanc Pain Endurance Series. It is, I do believe, the only 24-hour race they have on the 2014 calendar. It is their premier event, and it is phenomenal. I got to see Bentleys and McLarens and Ferraris and Lamborghinis and Mercedes race each other, and I got to see Spa in person, and that is just the most incredible, yeah, fantastic racetrack. I it just... Okay, the best racetrack in the world that I've been to is Nürburgring, the Nordschleife. I have been there. I have lapped it. That cannot be beat. Okay. Okay. So that's number one. But, wow. Spa is wow. I mean, for American viewers, uh, the best way I can describe it is take Road America and amplify. Hmm. It's the same kind of thing. It's kind of nestled into hills. It's surrounded by forest and greenery. And... It's a longer, bigger track that goes somewhere. You know what I mean? Right. But it does that so much more than Road America does. And it's not like – I'm not trying to say that Road America could have been better. I'm just saying that the location of Spa and the way they made use of the hills they had was really just – it's an incredible, phenomenal place. And, of course, the hills are way steeper in person. And seeing Eau Rouge with your own eyes for the first time and all this kind of stuff is really – just truly an epic place and it was a great race to watch as well um audi ended up prevailing in in their r8s and uh there was just a lot of good racing there was a there's actually a big big uh red flag situation one of the drivers um had a bad accident in um of course i'm going to get this right now it's the pujol it's uh this really fast like fifth gear left-hander sweeper towards the end before you get to the bus stop chicane yeah um had an off there and it had to be airlifted to uh the hospital to get checked out and i don't remember the extent but he did uh make it you know the driver was conscious and he's still you know he was in stable condition not immediately life-threatening at the very least but uh, i have to say at a personal level hearing the terms airlifted gave me a bit of a scare i'm like no that's bad i know that's bad um, but overall it was just really an incredible race and just what an incredible place. And I just, of course, I'm always excited to see spa when formula one comes there, but right. now I am so much more interested in seeing that because I now know very well. I know what the corners are that they're going to. I have them in my mind now. I've seen them all. I walked the perimeter of the track. Yeah, I was going to ask what, what you were able to see and do. Um, did you get any, like, ride-arounds? I know you were driving, unfortunately, in this race. That's um, true. But uh, did you get any, uh, like you said, so you walked around, so you've seen from different vantage points around the track, it sounds like? Most all of them, yeah. Sweet. And that's probably a pretty big area, too. I mean, it's, what, four-and-a-half-mile track, and it's, you know, I guess 
sort of compact into the middle of it, but you've got major hills and stuff, if I if I remember correctly. I mean, you do remember correctly, and, yeah. And whatnot. And it's a really cool layout. You know, there's a lot of, you know, obviously by the paddock and the pits, there's the typical towers and places to be, and there's a grandstand right by start, finish, and all this. But there are a lot of just general seating areas where people nestle on hills and get a small fire going and picnic and stuff like that. And, and uh, you know, a lot of people bring their small caravans and whatnot, and they go and they hang out. And that's really throughout the track. So almost every corner has some vantage points like that. And what that also affords is either on the inside or the outside of the track, you can pretty much walk the entire perimeter. And I did that. Yeah. And so I pretty much got to see... I would say about a third of the track from the outside and the other two thirds plus from the inside walking the perimeter and just, it's just a beautiful, magnificent place. I mean, you, you go up, you go, it's relatively flat going across the start finish. Yeah. And then you hit the, you know, hairpin, which is turn one. And then right as you go down the hill, you're going steadily, not steeply, but steadily downhill um, all the way down to Eau Rouge. Mm-hmm. And then just a little bit further down as you enter Eau Rouge and then pretty steep uphill, right? Yep. But here's the thing. It's it's uphill pretty much all the way past Eau Rouge down what uh, the map you just pulled up calls the Kemmel Strait. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much uphill the entire way. And then you get to this 789 complex, uh, Les, Les Combes, mm-hmm. and... You know, that begins downhill, and then 9 to 10 is uh, downhill, and then 10, 11 is fairly steeply downhill. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and uh, it's just, you know, and then, it, and then as you get into 12 and the Pujol in that area, it starts to flatten out a little bit, but just really epically epic track well that is the next formula one race we have coming up yes and uh, and what is it now 18 days until friday practice i think the website was telling me so it's you know we are in in the course of the uh summer shutdown for now and uh uh, you know looking forward as as always to spa and just to getting back to racing action but uh that's cool though you were able to see i've never been to belgium nor spa so um that's that's always cool to see uh to get it now it's a secondhand uh view for for (laughs) me but uh for you to get there firsthand and whatnot and um, and yeah, I was, I was actually following the race uh, live, although it was, um, as I'm sure you were dealing with as well, you know, these red flags and then right. lots of crazy restarts. Uh, you know, they'd restart and they'd have b- people getting overly ambitious and kind of going crazy and then exactly causing right. crashes and whatnot. Uh, but, uh, you know, overall, hopefully, uh, you know, an entertaining race to watch and, uh, and, and to check it out live. So that's, uh, that's cool that you were able to do that, though. And uh, I guess we may see some more uh, about that from you later on. Is that right? Well, and that's uh, – I'm actually looking at my phone now. I have a lot of pictures to show, and uh, with your expert eye, maybe we can put something together to show folks um, a couple of pictures and things so we can – I can show you a little bit more, uh, you know, firsthand um, what, the, what the track was like from different vantage points. Cool. So, you know, we can definitely keep an eye on FromWithCars.com, and we'll, we'll post it out on Facebook and Twitter as well if we put something together. But uh, while, while there's not F1, we might as well, you know, be revel in all that is uh, motor racing and whatnot. And after all, we are fun with cars. So anything to do with cars, race cars, track cars, road cars, all kinds of fun stuff, uh, we like to, uh, to keep up on and, and share what we can. So, uh, so that's cool. So that's, that, that was happening while the Hungarian Grand Prix was happening. 
um, and it, then some, yeah, obviously it being a 24-hour race. started at 4.30 in the afternoon. Um, I guess what the best way to say it is European Standard Time. It was right. it was six hours ahead of Eastern. Yeah, Central European Time. Central European Time, perfect. It started at 4.30 and ended 4.30 Sunday. So it was right after F1 qualifying and then ended after the Hungarian Grand Prix ended. Yeah, but you were able to avoid spoilers and, and hearing what happened until you actually were able to get all the way home and uh, and watch the race. But you did end up watching the race, right? This is true. I watched qualifying and the race. I Excellent. Saw it. Yes. Cool. So, yeah, we had to do it separately, but uh, I was also able to uh, to watch it. And we had a thrilling race. I have to say, um, there's just there's no way that any race later this season is going to be better than the race we just had. <laughs> not serious just saying that to just saying that to piss you off but no so we this you know we had uh in in germany of course we had a a you know all kinds of interesting drama and hamilton storming through the field and all kinds of stuff um although not really enough weather to to really matter uh during the race um but then uh then here we had we kind of had it all we had some spins we had some failures we had hamilton charging through the field we had weather again yeah. um it was just you know all kinds of uh all kinds of drama and then ending up with Neither Mercedes uh, taking the win, you know. It's, that sort of was the crazy part. Was it sort of Rosberg you know, sense, ended up yeah. losing out, and uh, and then you know obviously Daniel Ricciardo coming on to uh, to victory. So um, just it, it's it's tough, you know. Now that it's been what a week and a half, um, it's not as fresh in our minds as as it once was. But this is true. Um, there's pl- I mean plenty to talk about. I think with what's going on. Um, so I guess the question is where we want to start. Um, well, I think I I sorry I'm kind of stuck on chronological here, but yet again qualifying. Why does Lewis have so much trouble with qualifying? Yeah, but, but yeah, don't 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 they wish they knew? I mean, that would uh, that would be the thing. Um, but it's uh, let's see. I'm going to try to pull up qualifying here to remember where where everyone actually was at the well, at the end of it. If I remember correctly, Lewis Hamilton uh, set a lap and was going to uh, was going to set another lap, but it didn't quite work out, and then. Rain, the rain was as it was that it actually improved right at the last minute and he didn't realize. But now I'm a little bit concerned no, that I'm confusing Germany. Because that's Germany. This was the massive car fire. Right. Because he and Pastor that's Maldonado right. both oh, did not right. set a time. So no time I was time set. How did that uh, no. have him start from pit lane? That's what it was. Yeah, he his car just straight failed. That's so right. he was on his installation lap and like partway through, um, he was complaining of brake failure, which doesn't seem related to a fuel yeah, leak. Yeah, and that was... Maybe um, two, three corners prior to. Yeah, and then, so he never did start the flying lap. It was basically at pit in. Um, the car was engulfed in flames, essentially. Yes. Um, and then, so he was second to last. Actually, Pastor Maldonado, of all people, was qualified absolutely last, having also not made it all the way around the track uh, during Q1. So just from the off, uh, a terrible Saturday for Lewis. Right, but didn't, I thought Lewis did, in fact, start last because he did a gear. Box change. Uh, well, so he ended up uh, starting from the pit lane, so he had all the flexibility to do whatever they wanted. Uh, so yeah, it was originally you know, classified in terms of qualifying twenty first, but then ended up starting from the pit lane. Right. Um, so yeah, just making it a, uh, a you know very much drive through the field to uh, to get there. Uh, so he did start dead last, um, and you know after all was said and done. But uh, so in qualifying though, it was you know Nico Rosberg not you know, I guess, I guess you could say handed to, I mean, he had to, so it was tricky conditions in Q1. That's his, where we saw. His fiercest competitor was taken out early. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and then of course it was, uh, you know, tricky conditions for a while. You know, we had Kevin Magnuson, uh, with, uh, the big crash in, uh, in Q2. Um, and 
you know, causing causing issues, or was that no? That was the beginning of Q three because he didn't set a time in three, but he did make it through to tenth place. Anyway, it's tough looking back at it. But, uh, <laughs> right. It was, it was you know, like you say, toughest competitor put away. There was no one really uh, that close for qualifying, and uh, and uh, and just like we talked about from the Germany podcast, uh, you know, it's just like you want to win as slowly as possible, getting on pole without pushing the car, without overdriving anything, especially when you've got changeable conditions. Uh, Nico Rosberg was able to do that but not run away with it in the race just because of, I think, some pit strategies, the weather, the tires, the timing of everything, uh, how long different stints were, and so on, uh, just made for a, an interesting strategy, um, including some team orders, which uh, I think now with hindsight, I think almost everyone is in agreement of what happened there. I haven't seen Nico come out and say, yeah, it would have been crazy if Lewis had slowed down to let me by, but I've seen you know, certainly a lot of people, including from Mercedes, Saying the team order was was not the right thing to do. That was that was kind of a miscue uh, for them. And Lewis did the right thing by not letting him around. So do you want to? Yeah, to well, I'm happy to jump into that. I, talk it's, through that. Uh, first, real quick to close out qualifying. Um, you know, Sebastian Vettel um, once again started to show just little tiny glimmers of his previous self, qualifying second, which is almost a pole of sorts considering. Uh, what Mercedes formed these days. And then once again, Valetary Botas, you know, qualified third, you know, another solid, solid lap. So I just wanted to close out qualifying real quick there. Sure. But yeah, the team orders issue certainly was brilliant um, fuel for the um, Rosberg v. Hamilton um, media battle that's going on, you know, that people just love the fervor and love to add to that. And that certainly uh, helped their case. It was, in my mind, silly. They were being anxious and um, I'm sure, I have no doubt in my mind that they were thinking what's best for the team is to let the faster car by to maximize chances of the team having the best result. But the fact of the matter was that they had their star driver, we can say, but they had Lewis Hamilton starting from the pit lane right ahead of the guy that started on pole. And obviously someone that's not uh, easily won over. So, why would you even think to nudge him a little bit? That's, to me, where it seems so silly and unnecessary. And I think Lewis, frankly, was fairly well-behaved to not yell and scream at them and just say, if he wants to get by me, good luck. You know what I mean? Like, that's right. my take. And that's kind of the kind of the thought, too, is it's, um, you know, they weren't, they were close, but not that close. You know, this was yeah. not Rosberg all over the back of Hamilton or obviously being held up, which is immediately what I saw when they said, when they said, oh, you know, let, let him buy. It's one thing to let someone buy when it's, when all that means is giving them the room to let them make the pass that they're going to make. Right. Not another, actively blocking. It's another thing to back off, to slow your own race down, um, to, to, you know, slow down, to let someone else buy. And then, you know, and so on. So, cause it was, it was not that long of a time that they were even nose to tail, but it was pretty quick after, you know, Rosberg had caught up to Hamilton um, in this particular stint. And, and they said, okay, well, you know, like, I don't, I don't recall if the first radio message may have been, you know, don't impede, impede him. And then after that, it was like, well, no, let him by. And he's like, dude, he's nowhere near. And, and which 
I think immediately struck us as we were watching the, the uh, watching the race was like, yeah, he's not all over the place. This is not like yeah. he's tried a corner and, and, it, and you know it, it didn't work, or they were side by side on an exit and Lewis just pulled out. It was not that close. They were you know maybe they were within a second you know with DRS even, but it was not you know it was not so close that you'd think wow you know Hamilton is really holding up Rosberg here, um, and certainly in terms of the overall strategy, of course they you know they don't have have a way of knowing what's going to happen with weather and what's going to happen with other cars in the rest of the race, but you know, to back off at all for, for, you know, for one driver, their lead driver, for anybody to back off, um, just, you know, gives anyone else the chance to pounce, um, as, as things pan out later on in the race. So it's just, I think Hamilton made the right call. And even, you know, Nicky Lauda, who's, uh, what non-executive chairman of Mercedes AMG, um, but obviously knows his way around, uh, some, some, you know, teammate rivalries and, and, you know, other battles and so on. I can't, um, why, why, why do you say that? I can't think of any reason why he would know that. Yeah. Well, he, cause you know, he's just, uh, he's an elderly fan. He likes to uh, pose in, in pictures with, uh, with Sebastian Vettel. Ah, uh, the elderly fan. Yeah. yeah sure, so he sure. probably has asked Vettel about these things. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's, uh, even he came out and said, yeah, th- that was, that was sort of a silly call. I don't know exactly what he said, but something to the effect of, you know, Lewis did the right thing by not slowing down because it would have been slowing down. It wasn't, it wasn't that he was holding up Rosberg. So I don't think that's a super controversial um, position to take anymore. I think at the time it was all kind of like, oh, man, this is crazy. What's going on? But I mean, as a matter of fact, you know, you know, Rosberg got within a second of Hamilton and then a few laps later couldn't hold that. He ended up being more than a second behind Hamilton. So wasn't even in DSR range, DSR range, uh, <laughs> DRS range. So, um, he, uh, he, he absolutely made the right decision. I'm not sure had he let Rosberg by that he wouldn't have been on the back of Rosberg. You know what I mean? Saying, okay, now right. Rosberg's slowing me down. I let him by now. What? Yeah, exactly. That, that sort of seems like the case. So as you know, and it's tough because of course on any stint, you know, the car's always getting lighter as you burn off fuel, but then of course your tires are getting more and more worn until you pit. So um, I think there's there's a phase where maybe he sort of feels amazing, and he's like, man, I really got all the grip is right there and whatever, and it's, it's all coming go you know come together well, and then all of a sudden you kind of just by the nature of maybe Rosberg was driving a bit hard and sort of overdrove his tires and worn him out a little bit, and then sort of wanted the gimme of say, okay, well let me get around him really easily or whatever, but then by that time Hamilton was just able to manage a bit better and uh, and do his thing. So um, you know this is you know after of course we sort of gloss over the fact that Lewis just stormed his way through the field i mean everyone knows everyone watched the race but just you know uh it, it's it's a bit crazy to ha- that he had to do it two races in a row but man if uh if, if you need someone to start from the pit lane and yes it's the car is faster than everything else out there um except the other mercedes but even to better the other mercedes like just to really you know make the right calls and uh and do well and keep the car in one piece and uh you know it just Hamilton just did a stellar job of doing that. Not to mention that, surprise, surprise, Hungary is a hard place to pass. <laughs> but it is. I he mean, found it, some places, though. <laughs> he found some places, and it is it is genuinely a tight place. It is tightest other than Monaco. And it is a little bit more difficult to really get a run on somebody here than it is other places. So I mean, I think genuinely this place is bit harder than some of the other tracks and he still managed to do what he did and it really was a phenomenal result he though clearly wasn't happy at the end of the race there he was on the podium and he was fighting back frowns you know what i mean he was not pleased he wanted to get the celebrity interview over with as soon as he could and you know was not pleased with the result so my question to you is 
do you think it was the team with Lewis that had him on the strategy he had to keep the tires um, on for such a long stint and hence not have the tire to defend against uh, Ricardo? Um, well, I think where it went wrong for them was the uh, safety car, what they thought was going to be a safety car, um, and, and, you know, just getting all confused about, uh, you know, because there was, there was a couple spins and crashes and, and near misses and various things. So, um, you know, I think they, they just had a miscue on how long to do it. I, I mean, it was, it was wild to see, um, to see Rosberg uh, at, the end of the, at the end of the race, and uh, I, f- I was finally able to pull up a lap chart here to try to remember what the heck was going on. But um, where he's behind Lewis, he gets as high as third uh, when Ricardo pitted, uh, which put him, you know, Ricardo was in the, in the lead of the race for like, um, you know, about half of it, actually, almost. But um, Ricardo Pitts, um, that actually puts uh, Fernando Alonso, we haven't even spoken about. He was in the lead of the race for quite a while, for yes. about basically the other half. But behind um, yeah, him, Lewis in third, and then Nico in fourth. Uh, and then this is, in, what, lap 55, um, Rosberg Pitts. And that was the big question was, would he be better to stay out and try to make these tires work, or should he come in and pit? And then Lewis, um, you know, Lewis was just on a really long stint there. I mean, what, it was back on like lap 39. He got these tires. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there was the, it sort of looked like Lewis was in the right spot and was going to make it ho- really make it happen. But the, uh, the the timing was just, you know, how is this going to work? How fast? How much faster is he going to be? And there was some question about that. But then to see when Rosberg got on, you know, the I don't know if it was a newer used set of of super softs, but um, to get on the softer tires and just how quickly he was then dicing through the field when everyone else was struggling. I mean, the, the gaps, um, it was what, four and five seconds a lap that he was making up, that Nico was making up on other guys. And yeah, it's like, on Lewis. Right, and that was, it was huge. And then, you know, to finally, uh, to finally get caught up um, and make that happen. And then Ricardo dicing through traffic at the very end to get past Fernando. Um, and, and then, you know, obviously Lewis. Well, um, get past Lewis in a great race. And then, yeah, right by Fernando and as well. It's just incredible to see him win the race that way. But then, you know, but you can see uh, Rosberg going from seventh where he came out after that pit stop um, and just passes, you know, every lap making a position, making a position up to fourth. But then still, you know, he had uh, he had four laps behind Lewis Hamilton, was not able to get around him and uh, and hold off. So I would think, I mean, I would have thought Lewis would be happier just by virtue of, you know, who cares where everyone else in the race came? He came ahead of Rosberg, um, and Rosberg didn't win. Rosberg did not get maximum points. So not only were they, you know, was he ahead of Rosberg, so he got more points, but it was, you know, in, the, in one of these brackets where it's a significant, you know, significant number of points different, not, not one more point or two more points, but, you know, good good points battle. Um, so, you know, he's probably, you know, Hamilton, I wouldn't think, would care that Ricardo won the race. He's not in, you know, championship contention to... Uh, uh, to to really take over that way, and Alonso coming second, that's great for Alonso. That's great for Ferrari. Whatever, that's not really skin off Hamilton's back either. But it seems like uh, so. It seems like you should be in good shape. I imagine that had a lot more to do with the team order um, that he didn't follow earlier on. Just putting him in that mindset of man, these guys are really not necessarily out to get him, but really out to do everything they can to help Rosberg. And uh, and sort of like man, in spite of these guys, I was able to do really well. It seems like kind of more the I think the vibe. I think that's somewhat true, and I think honestly that's what. Here's my guess: is that Lewis is upset with some of the strategy calls in the race because he felt like he could have done better and gained on Rosberg even more. So even if uh, anything anything where he finishes ahead of Rosberg is a good thing, but. If Rosberg, uh, let's say Rosberg could have gotten third or even second, but Lewis won the race, 
well, then that's a seven-point swing instead of a three-point swing. Those are the type of things. I think that was what was on Lewis's mind and why he was upset to a certain extent on the thing. But you're right. He has to keep that his head set on the fact he did gain on Rosberg. He is now less than half of uh, a races, race win points advantage behind Rosberg now. Definitely, definitely within range to to overcome him. Right, and you know, Spa is known for changeable weather conditions and unpredictability, and you know, some interesting errors that we've seen from people over the years, and so on. I mean, you know, he, uh, I guess, uh, Lewis has had some good races at Spa. He's had some bad races at Spa. I do recall a uh, a uh, lap one retirement for Lewis at Spa from probably was '07 or something his rookie year when he was like really promising, or not rookie year, but yeah, I guess it was rookie year, um, and. Uh, and then, you know, was looking really promising for the championship. And then that was one of these retirements. And then Monza, after that, he had another retirement. It was like, oh, man, this championship got all screwed up. Yeah. I don't know if it was, if it was that year or the year after. But I, anyway. I think it might have been 08. I think it was his championship year. Oh, but he ended up making it work. But I, rem- I recall some dramatic failures for Lewis and, and driving failure, not car failures, but, you know, lapses in judgment right, or right, mis- miscues right. or whatever. So, uh, I, you know, I'm not sure how excited he is specifically about Spa, but certainly anything can happen. Uh, between these two guys in terms of points. Um, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that one of them wins and one of them doesn't finish. Uh, but uh, we'll just, obviously, we'll have to see. But, uh, you know, I think this is really good for Ferrari um, because they've, they've had so many struggles and so much problem with the, the image and the money and, and just kind of, you know, obviously reshuffling the whole team and, and trying to make things happen. And this isn't, I don't think, Marco Mariachi's influence here, but just, you know, Alonso just being his usual usual kind of magical self to uh, to get, you know, all that the car deserves and then some. Um, and then Kimi Raikkonen ending up sixth as well is a few points. I mean, that's yeah, but it better than was, not a few points. It was something that I was going to bring up as well is, is uh, Raikkonen finally kind of pushing his way back. You know, is he... Um, is he showing? Is he? Is this an actual road to recovery, or is this just another peak with a another trough to come? It seems like his form was a little bit better, and he did, if I remember correctly, I'll check my stats. He did out qualify uh, Fernando Alonso this time around. Uh, no, not at all. No, that is definitely not the case because he uh. ended up 16th on the grid, and <laughs> Alonso was fifth. No, but he his form was a little bit better in terms of actual driving. I don't remember. Oh no, I do remember. Uh, Raikkonen, the the conditions were improving. Raikkonen sat on his time. He was ready to go out to do another lap, and they said, "No, you're fine." And then right at the end, he was pimped. I do remember that. So yeah, definitely not qualifying. But okay, race result. Raikkonen improved. I'm hoping that we can say this is a is a sign of Raikkonen turning a corner and actually steadily improving for uh, Ferrari. Let's be hopeful and, and say that. I mean, we don't, we don't have any reason to think otherwise. And, you know, uh, Raikkonen also has had some, uh, some dramatic results at Spa, shall we say. So it should be a good – I mean, it's one of the tracks drivers tend to like. Um, and then, of course, Monza is very special for Ferrari and, and another, you know, great driver's track and so on. So we've got some good stuff coming up. Let's, let's, let's be positive and uh, hope that Raikkonen can continue to improve. Um, I, you know, kind of doubt that uh, – uh, long term that he's going to be oh yeah sign up for a new three-year contract with ferrari or something you know it just seems like kind of maybe this is on the way out but uh, there's no reason not to you know push like hell for this year and have some fun doing it and get some good results for the team and for the ferrari fans everywhere that uh, that love the red cars yes exactly right um so 
big props to Ferrari. Um, still, you know, I think I think we can give more props to Williams as well. Um, if you look at the qualifying results, they were still very strong. Um, I think what hurt them a little bit this year was race strategy kept them from being as strong as they might have been otherwise. But uh, they're still doing quite well. But, okay, man of the hour here. Uh, second win of the season. Second win of his career. Right. Just brilliant racing. The way he got around Hamilton, the way he got around Alonso. Daniel Ricciardo, really just top-notch, huh? Yeah, and you know the fact that not only is his second win of the year, but the only Red Bull wins have been in his hands. I mean, that's been the, the remarkable thing is uh, is is combination of how well he's done in this car, but also how how hard of a time Vettel has had. So, like you said, you know Vettel uh, starting second uh, and doing very well, lost lost second on the first lap and was basically third for a while, um, and then you know kind of shuffled through the uh, shuffled through the order from there. But um, it was just a, it seems like a really good combination of strategy and driving and you know, whatever, some, some amount of luck or whatever it was. But uh, especially in the very end, though, uh, just making making these, you know, really fast choices. And he's not racing against slouches. I mean, we're talking about Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton. These are not guys that you think of as, oh, yeah, you know, once you get to him, you'll just get him out of the way. This was, <laughs> yes, we had rain. But all the all the top guys, I mean, looking down the order of, of who ended up here are all, you know, there aren't any real surprises of these guys that would be running in the front. I mean, you know, uh, Alonso, Hamilton, uh, Rosberg, Massa, Raikkonen, you know, then Vettel down in seventh place by the end of the race. Like, uh, you know, these are all just top guys, in most cases world champions that you're racing against here. Yeah. And uh, and he just, it's like it doesn't phase him. It's just he holds on to it. He makes really good calls. He was able to sort of read situations and not, um, you know, it, it seems like a little bit less of barging his way through like Hamilton had to do in some of the traffic and so on. But just, I don't know what, what it is that he's got, but he's got it. And he's, he's just just able to really, really be impressive. Real quick rehash. Um, uh, Lewis Hamilton retired from Belgium in 2009. Okay. He was third in, no, fourth in 2007, third in 2008, and one in 2010. So. Well, there you go. And then, you know, after that, who cares, right? So I guess it was 09 <laughs> when he was trying to defend his championship, right? And the, the wheels kind of fell off the wagon for him there. And because uh, I think it was that same year then in, at Monza, then it was like back to back retirements or something. It was like, anyways, it was really bad. And Ooh, um, let me let me check that. There's lots of uh, lots of consternation about Lewis and getting ahead of himself and all that. And of course, that was in the McLaren. And um, anyway, let's see. Let's see. Well, we got a retirement in uh, and he was 12th at Monza. Oh, OK. That year. So well, there you go. You know. He not as not a brilliant result for uh, yeah. for what it was. He won in Singapore, two thousand nine, for what it's worth. Then a couple of podiums in Japan and Brazil, and then retired from Abu Dhabi, which you know that would have been worth double points had it been you know five years from then. And blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, anyway, right. Anyway, yeah. So the Daniel Ricciardo result. I think what's most thrilling about him was that he was on new tires and he raced at the end, and you could see just. Brilliant strategy and brilliant racing. It wasn't just, oh, we had the best pit stop or whatever. Oh, the front runners crashed out and spun out and he was there. No, he raced for it and he did brilliant moves to get there. And it's just really just incredible to see. The question I wonder is, so we had Vettel's uh, second, uh, second place qualifying result and we had Daniel Ricciardo's win. Is Red Bull becoming the clear number two, or was that just circumstances? 
they of course have come out and said, oh, this is a, you know, this is not just a flash in the pan. This is something we can do. But we have to remember that, you know, there was a safety car period here that did bunch everybody up, and that does affect how uh, how things happen um, to, uh, you know, where they are at the end of the race. I mean, usually the deal is the Mercedes can get so far out in front that. Um, that you know it doesn't it doesn't matter um, you know how how much faster you are you know getting a little bit faster on the lap is not going to be enough to get up to a Mercedes and then pass it so I'm I mean, I guess no one's saying that you know Red Bull's overtaken Mercedes but have they overtaken Williams is kind of the question um, and maybe uh, you know uh, it's 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 tough to to know just I guess where the strengths are um, I guess it seems like they're close enough that with a few you know extenuating circumstances with weather and safety cars and and you know qualifying results and whatnot uh that they can be right there and that's uh that's a lot of it um but uh certainly i mean they're they're well ahead in the uh you know constructors championship red bull is way ahead of of williams with 218 points to 135 with ferrari then in in the middle right ferrari Um, did uh, thanks to alonso's second place finish and certainly raikkonen sixth uh, Ferrari once again overtook yeah. Williams and reclaimed third in the drivers' championship, so I guess constructors' championship. Overall, uh, you'd have to say uh, you know that Red Bull is the number is the clear number two in terms of you know points and whatnot. And I don't think that that's uh, necessarily going to change. But yeah, I think I think they may have uh, you know gotten I don't know if it's, if it's Vettel getting his head around this car or what. I mean, it seems surprising. But like you say, we'll give him a year. He's four-time champion. We can uh, we can give him the benefit of. Uh, the benefit of some doubt there. And, as far and, as I'm concerned, he gets a free year. That's yeah. right. Well, there you go. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we'll, we'll, of course, we'll have to see. I mean, we're going to keep watching the races, right, and uh, and see how it all goes. And, of course, the, the one in Abu Dhabi is, like you say, worth double. So, Well, let's... speaking of Drivers' World Championships and speaking of Ricardo, he is now third in the Drivers' Championship. That is pretty impressive. If you think about that, um, you go, obviously, Nico Lewis. Those guys are 11 points apart from each other. Then Daniel Ricardo. And Daniel Ricciardo is 60 points behind Lewis. So, yeah, that's a pretty big gap. That's two and a half race wins. But still, it's not completely distant. And then fourth place is the plucky, you cannot ever deny, Fernando Alonso. Um, he's doing quite well. Fifth place, um, Valtteri Botas. So it's really interesting to see the Mercedes teammates there, but then a Red Bull, a Ferrari, and a Williams in terms of the Drivers' Championship. That's kind of cool. Yeah, and then behind him, of course, is Vettel uh, with only 88 points compared to Ricardo's 131. That is a pretty big difference uh, at the end of the day. But Vettel does have enough points to uh, travel back in time if he needs to, <laughs> or should I say back to the future if he needs to. Huh? Wink of the nudge, <laughs> movie, 88 miles an hour. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah with, I'm but it's it. points. Yeah, because it's points. Um, but Massa in ninth place. I mean, the other Williams uh, and the more experienced driver. He's got he's got forty points, <laughs> and Valtteri Bottas has ninety five. I mean, that that's a pretty big difference. That's it. In that's terms of halfway difference. through the season, or over halfway through the season, as we are now. Yeah. And uh, and this is yet another race where Sauber scored no points, so they are uh, very very still firmly tenth uh, in the constructors' championship. The Caterham, which believe it or not, they're not happy about it. Right, they said that would be unacceptable, and it's funny that not I guess funny for them, but you know Marussia has traditionally been more of a backmarker. That you know they get their first points ever this year, um, and uh, they've got so they've got two points on the board, and it doesn't and it seems like two points would be an achievable goal for a team like Sauber. Um, you know, even in recent years, it's like you know to get that's that's you know two tenth place finishes or a ninth place or you know like it seems like in a happy you know they're through the pit cycles and rotations and things yeah. they'll, they'll be there they'll be in the points but just by the end of the race they just no you know none of their none of their finishes have been in the points at all this year so i think caterham 
is way out to sea right now. I mean, you know, they they're they're not finishing races. I mean, well, they were just sold. Right. They've got a they've got a you know kind of reconfigure their team or whatever the the uh they fired a lot of people and the people that they fired are, are having lawsuits against caterham to say oh you fired us wrongly and whatever which that's helpful yeah that's that's not going to help uh probably anyone's cause but um you know so that's that's part of it but just you know i think they were sold because they were doing so poorly and now that they've been sold it's going to be a while if ever that they get turned back around i mean that's, no they that's... need a proper resurgence and firing a bunch of people is not a good start so it'll be interesting to see how that goes Going back to Sauber real quick, though, yeah. um, it, it's, what's amazing to me about Sauber is let's not forget that it was about two years ago, maybe three, but it was just not that long ago that Sauber was finishing with podiums. Right. You know, Sergio Perez had a podium, one or two for, uh, for Sauber, and uh, I remember uh, quite distinctly uh, Kamui Kobayashi podium in Japan. Right. For Sauber. Right. And that's, you know, year before last, because of course it was before Teko moved to uh, Claren and whatnot, but... That was not that long ago. The car was sort of, you know, not always there. But when it was there, you you know, Checo at least could drive the hell out of it, and, uh, and Kumui, Kumui too. as well. Yeah, yeah. Get, get some you know get some good results out of it. And uh, and it's just you know yet another time. So this in this case we had both caterums retire um, and both Marushas finish the race. So um, you know I, I I expect by the end of the season um, I actually wouldn't be that surprised if Sauber was able to pick up two points or more. Um, you oh, know, it's certainly three, possible. four, five points or whatever, and actually beat uh, Marusha. But um, man, I kind of, I kind of like Marusha more than ever before. Just seeing that they're, they've been able to, uh, uh, you know, just really do well and, uh, and you know, just be there at the end of the races, time and time again. That's that's a big achievement uh, with uh, lots of cars out of it. I mean, in this case we had 16 cars finish, and uh, and all the others were out. But uh, you know, both Marushas right there at the end, they were one lap down, but uh, but there and finishing and you know making it happen. Just for a fun little uh, context, yeah, it was in 2012, the Sauber Ferrari scored 126 points to finish sixth in the driver's cha- uh, Constructors' Championship. And in last year, uh, 2013, they were seventh in the Constructors' Championship with 57 points. And to go from that to, you know... Nothing so far. I mean, they're not fighting for 10th. They own 10th now because Caterham is nowhere near, but... Um, you know, working really hard to try to get to ninth is uh, is kind of wild. After after, yeah, I remember that they were sort of one of the best of the rest kind of uh, you know mid pack uh, teams to look at. And, yeah, uh, man. So I, anyway, I wouldn't be super surprised if they turn it around. But um, this is another one of those races. I kind of want to echo what we said from the last show, where whatever you know, whatever we have right now for regulations, like we've had some great races. So let's not screw with things too possibly much i mean yeah the cars are kind of wonky looking but we're used to that now and and so on but uh you know isn't it great that we can be used to the looks of formula one that's uh that's really saying well, something it, it it is it's like a, a bit sad whatever and and you know the uh the sounds of them i think we can uh try to skip over that debate for one show but anyway it's, well but then you brought it up well man it, it didn't even come up and then there it comes well and now it's gone um but you know, it's like I, I want to say what we've got now is great. You know, this is classic. You know, some of the some of the classic tracks here, and Hungary has become one of the classic tracks. I think it's been around long enough, and uh, you know, had such such good racing at it. You know, we can kind of put it there, and uh, and you know, obviously we've got some of the big hitters. Spa coming up um, should be good times. We have should no be. no reason to think it's not going to be just another cool drive. I mean, I guess it sucks for Hamilton that he has had to drive through the field several times, but it makes great racing for us. I mean, you know, and just. 
um, we had, you know, we had in this race, we had Vettel spin and almost, almost very much lose it and get into the wall, but just, you know, spun around right. and was he able to catch it. He touched the wall. He right. tapped it. It was and, just and the most bizarre on. thing in the world. Yeah. You know, we had just, you know, which you can't, you can't plan this stuff. We had big crashes. We had, you know, little spins, Kafiat and whatever. Just anyway, just all kinds of craziness. And, uh, and yet, um, you know, you know, not a first time winner, but, you know, second time winner for, uh, uh, for Ricardo, good result for Ferrari, just. You know, there's plenty for lots of different people to be happy about here. No matter who you follow, there's probably something that you can take away from it as positive, and uh, and it's just you know a, a solid result. So I'm hopeful that we'll uh, have more races like this and uh, keep things interesting. Uh, although I expect we'll probably be back to some more Mercedes dominance in the near future. Rose Hill writes us, "Dear Jim, okay. pretty sure it's Ross." What did I say? Rose. Oh, well, you know, Rose, Ross. Ross Hill writes us. Dear Jim Lau and Rob Warner, my name is Ross Hill from the UK, and I thoroughly enjoy your podcast episodes. Smiley face. Oh, thank you, Ross slash Rose. This is the first time I've sent an email to you because I was interested in your opinions in female drivers being in Formula One. Susie Wolf drove the Williams car in P1 for the Britain and German races. By doing this, she has become the first woman to drive an F1 car over the race weekend for 22 years. This seems, this seems crazy to me, and I'd love there to be, future, be a future where there would be female drivers on the grid. So far, this hasn't come up yet on your podcast episode, but I'm sure not of its coverage over. But I'm sure not because of its coverage over in America. Due to her being British, there have been loads of coverage over there. In my opinion, they can just they can be just as mentally and physically competitive as the male drivers are. Do you two agree on and how long do you think there will be a future like this? There have been only a total of six female drivers in Formula One compared to the hundreds of male drivers. Formula E so far has two confirmed female drivers for their first season. I understand, though, that at the end of the day, F1 only has 22 seats and a lot of time. And a lot of the time it comes down to money, not talent. <clears throat> Maldonado. Hmm. The BBC recently did a great, really great podcast on this subject. And anyway, thanks for the amazing podcast. And I hope in the future there will, is more gender equality on the F1 grid. Also, I loved your version of the British national anthem. Thank you. I'm sure Wayne Rooney would find it easier to remember the words than he does with the current one, Ross Hill. So first and foremost, thank you for the email and for the interesting question. And uh, second, sorry for saying Rose, not Ross. It is Ross. And third, Jim, what do you think? I think we're going to have a, f a woman on the grid sooner than we think. Um, I guess it's as soon as I think because I think it. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, Susie Wolf is a very likely candidate for uh, for the first one. I mean, Simona de Silvestro has uh, – she had some tie-up with Sauber, I thought, uh, for a while. Yeah. She's, you know, she's been in IndyCar. She's she, was named, she was named the third driver yeah. but has not yet – performed in a friday practice right. and i think she's taking part in formula e now so i think she's one of those so she you know we'll see how how things pan out but anyway there are several candidates there and i, I do think it's a matter of of, of you know when not if I, I think it's hard to imagine that you know 10 years from now that we won't have um some uh you know women in the f1 grid um that's it's been that way in, in indycar for a while you know that was like a big deal for a while and now there's just like in in you know any race there's usually you know a woman or two um on the, you know on the grid and they you know, sometimes do well and sometimes don't like any other driver. So it's, it seems to be that, uh, 
you know, that, yeah, someone who's properly motivated, be a man or a woman, can, uh, you know, can make it happen and have some success. So um, I think uh, I think it's going to happen. I think I think it's, I'm all for it. I think it's cool to uh, have, you know, more diversity and, you know, just different people from, uh, you know, whatever, different areas. And uh, it's partly interesting, you know, F1 being really international and to then add another dimension of having men and women uh, racing against each other. I don't see any reason that uh, we can have a competitive uh, female F1 driver. So I think it would be cool. And certainly um, you can – I think the, you know, the, the talent versus uh, money thing is a, a bit of a double-edged sword because in a way you're never going to take the money out of Formula 1. I mean that is a huge essence of what is Formula 1 is all the marketing and you know, Ferrari and the branding and you know, all the different you – know, Red Bull, for goodness sake, is you know, not a car company. And yet they are the you know, what four-time contractor champion, whatever. So um, – in a way, it's okay. It's you know, F1 is to some extent about talent, of course, but so much more about money and connection and sponsorships and so on, which could work for a, a woman driver as well, because that would be a novel thing to have the first woman in F1, at least in forever, um, to take part in racing and whatever. Um, we don't need to look that far for examples in American racing of uh, successful marketed yeah. females. And whatnot, I mean, so. really, the, what we try to do is avert our eyes. And I mean, Danica Patrick is, if nothing else. And uh, <clears throat> I think, in my opinion, nothing else, a marketing uh, a powerhouse and proved that when done correctly, uh, well, new, see, I got to be careful with my language because I was just about to say how incorrect it was. But she was a case of being um, successful, uh, a successful marketing strategy for not just the team she became part of, but the series she was a part of. She was a boon for IndyCar. Um, her being in the Indy 500 the first year around especially was a big, big deal and a huge talking point. Her going to NASCAR was a, a boon for them, helped boost things a little bit um, and get more attention to NASCAR from a broader audience. However, it was done actually in a, I guess you would say, uh, typical way uh, using her using her looks and uh, using the typical, uh, what would you say, surface femininity things to get attention. And what I hope is unique about Formula One is when a female driver gets on the grid and is an actual racer, it is because of talent and no other reason. And that, to me, I think is the real signifier when we have really um, come into a new era where it's like because of because of the way women athletes are treated generally in this world, think about the Olympics and other sports, things like that. And because of what it takes in terms of skill level to drive a Formula One car, that there are absolutely women out there that will be among the best in the world. And if they can show that and show, and that's become, that's their reason for being there and the only reason, great. Well, I, I guess my point was I don't think anyone gets a Formula One seat on talent alone. You know, with guys, obviously it's all dudes now. Um, it's because of who you know and you're, how you can sponsorship saying, and so on. So it's you're like, saying you're 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 hot for the you're saying you're hot for the F1 drivers. Yes, I think Pastor Maldonado is a sexy, sexy man, and he's only <laughs> in F1 because of his looks. <laughs> but no, I mean, you know, he's there because he's got connections with Venezuelan oil companies and lots of money behind him. And you know, obviously, uh, you know, F1 drivers do show up in watch ads and in perfume ads and in bank ads. I guess cologne, whatever. You know, all kinds of, they, you know. <laughs> The guys are used for their looks, and that's that's all part of the marketing well, of thing. Of course, of course. I'm not saying devoid of looks. I'm just saying that – okay. You hope she's not good-looking is what you're saying because Susie Wolf is pretty hot. So. No, no. Listen, I don't 
I don't wish for ugliness on anyone. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that you want you here's here's what happened. Uh, Catherine Leg, in my opinion, she was in uh, IndyCar for a little while. Right. Um, Sarah Fisher, another example. Uh, great drivers. Catherine Leg, in my opinion, is a better driver than Danica Patrick. Um, she won races in Toyota Atlantics. Uh, Danica Patrick didn't, and had a lot of success when she got to IndyCar. Which which driver um, prevailed and why? Danica Patrick was in um, a pink antifreeze commercials, and she said, "When you peak, you win." I don't think any Formula One drivers have done anything that would be the male equivalent of that. He wasn't – I have not seen – Wait. Have you seen the Santander Jensen Button commercials from like last year where it's like making fun of perfume ads but it's for a bank but it's like really bad? I mean I don't know. He's in the soda cookie. But that was satirical. Sake. See, that right there, you said it right in your description, making was, fun though. of. I don't know if it was because it was, it was like trying to be – bad enough to be funny but it was like just bad enough to be bad what was it like when i put my money in the safety deposit box i like to put it in deep like what would you what would you do i'm sorry the 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 what i'm trying to say is listen as someone with a girl's name i need to stand up and um say what needs to happen is it comes on merit um of driving talent and then sure the the Things that go along with it and the sexy ones, young and good looking and all that thing. Yeah, I'm not saying that should be abandoned, but I'm saying let's have that be secondary and not the first reason why a female driver is on the grid. That's what I'm saying. And I'm saying I'm that's saying. the first reason everybody's on the grid. So it's going to be the same for a woman, but hey, nothing. Uh, let's, let's, you know, whatever. Quick, it, it quick should, aside, for any other male named Robin, I salute you wholeheartedly. But uh, here in the States, I'm the minority. Sadly. And so it goes. Uh, we've got a couple other emails as well here. So thank you. That was uh, kind of a random talking point that uh, we went off on from there. But um, Craig the Kilt Wilson uh, has, is back again. Um, and he said he was very concerned about the last corner main straight first corner stands being only 60% full on race day. Um, he's been to Hungary three times now, most recently two years ago, and they were full stands. And says, what's happened? Frowny and, face. Right. Don't and, forget uh, the frowny face. I was going to not forget the frowny face. Um <laughs> Craig is starting to think people aren't going partly due to cost, partly due to the show, and partly due to TV coverage getting better and better. Um, specifically with Sky now, and you know, you know, if you have to, if you pay for F1, you get really good coverage now and everything live and so on. And I think there's there's a, another element to it from that, uh, which I mean, so it's the you know, I, well, it's part of cost, I guess. And in terms of um, you know the economics of Formula One, crazy as they are, with the way you know the promoters and everything you know pay uh, to FOM, and then how the TV money gets distributed and everything, it's all kind of a complicated mess. But um, basically, every everyone you know in F1, uh, all the you know investors and business types and so on, you know have lots of money and just want to use that lots of money to make more money. So darn those business types, right? Well, <laughs> well, what they're doing um, is you know trying to just optimize everything to make as much money as possible. And and I my opinion is or my my theory is that they don't really care. You know they they would much rather have um, you know small stands, you know you know empty stands. Um, if that made them more money, if they get more money from TV or from internet deals or from whatever. Um, but if you think about it, uh, you know, we've seen different articles and blog posts and things being written. Um, you know, there, there's a big difference if you if you have, you know, what, 10,000 people coming to a race and each of them are paying, you know, $100 a ticket. Or if you have 20,000 people and they're paying $50 a ticket, 
you know, you get the same money in, but it costs so much more to support all the infrastructure and everything else around double the people at the race. So and maybe in previous years, it was more people at a lower ticket price. And nowadays they've looked at it and said, well, hey, we can jack the prices up. Fewer people come, but if we still get more profit, then it's still going to work. And so we obviously just had the World Cup, you know, ending and whatever. And people were paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars to get tickets to this event. Uh, and, you know, which, you know, is even above what people pay to get into F1 yeah, races and things like that. Why, though? That's just kicking a ball around. Well, people like it. Well, this is just people driving in circles. Yeah. It's just a bunch of dudes. Are you just there to look at them because they're pretty? Yeah. Oh, well, there you go, Robin. Um, but uh, so uh, 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 that was good. That was subtle. I like I, that. I think things have been optimized I, for kind of a different part of the equation. Um, but uh, I think I think all the points are, are are correct to some extent. I mean, nowadays with you know with the internet and pay TV and you know illegal downloads and all kinds of things, um, just about anyone can do a very good job of uh, of following what's going on in the racing, watching the races live, and so on, or even slightly delayed if you if you download stuff. And uh, so there's not you're not as left out if uh, if you don't go to see it in person. Yeah, and there is, there is a difference between being at a race live and watching it on television. Certainly, you miss things when you don't um, go to the show and you just watch it on television. But let's be honest, especially these days, you miss things when you go to the race live and you don't watch it on television. So it is genuinely a trade off. Now I think that's part of it, and I also think. To me, what's much more important is on the rare occasions that we have the opportunity to go see a race live, I definitely still want to be able to do that. So as long as that still happens, I'm happy. And as long as the sport overall is healthy, I'm happy. So if Formula One's crowds are down, but the business model isn't dependent on those crowds and the sport can still survive and thrive, then I'm honestly okay. If they start getting money uh, if they start getting greedy enough to the point that it's hurting the sport and we're just kind of on a downward spiral, spiral that's when you really got to start making noise about it. Yeah, and I think that's that's just it, is that it, it uh, um, is still sustainable um, and, and is, you know, it's like, yes, the crowds are down, but that's not necessarily the end of the world. Um, and it may get to a point where, you know, so much of the business is done. I mean, so many of these, you know, when when... You know these companies, Emirates Airlines, or whatever. When they want to get their logo on the track, it's not for the ten thousand people that'll see it in sitting in that corner, or the eight people sitting in that corner that are going to see it. It's all about the TV money and whatever. So you could sort of imagine uh, something about a, um, you know, not that the races would be free to go to eventually, but that like that it's sort of a separate business model to see the race live than it is like like everyone's making their money on the TV coverage and internet coverage and whatever. And I have to you know kind of imagine that uh, if, if F1 embraces the internet like a lot of other sports have, have done to really have their own, uh, you know, like if I could pay Formula One directly to have access to all manner of, you know, streaming live and video and data and back stuff, whatever, like you can do with hockey and basketball and football and so on. There's just, there's not that for Formula One, but it seems like they would want it because it would get some of these TV guys out of the way. But um, anyway, um, I think, you know, things will continue to go that way where the business models of all the sponsors and people involved will be less reliant on just ticket holders going to the race um, that, uh, yeah, maybe it could actually be that, you know, those could be more affordable and, uh, and then, you know, you'd just be able to go check it out when you want to, and then watch it on the TV slash internet, you know, iPad, whatever, uh, when you don't, but, uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's sort of just a changing, changing model for certainly for the way, the way TV is, is all changing and everything now anyway. So, but I yeah, we'll I, see how it goes to, to Craig's point, And this is where, uh, I think Craig, might be right and i'm certainly at the very least more sympathetic to it you know he's in europe where 
you know, used to be most of the races and now still what is the number seven of the races occur within, you know, hundreds of miles of his house, you know, maybe a thousand. And so he has a lot more opportunity to go to the races live and, and make it happen. Whereas, you know, you and I being in the States, it's like, well, okay, one race of the year comes here. There's one race that goes to Canada, which is conceivable for us to go to. But any other any other race for you and I to watch is a transatlantic adventure, you know, not likely. And so for us, it's a or lot easier. Or flying e- to Brazil, which takes even longer than flying to Europe. <laughs> right, exactly. So for us, it's kind of like, yeah, okay, something that we really don't have access to is slightly down and maybe even a little bit harder. It's like, okay, no big deal. But for someone that's uh, an avid Formula One fan in Europe, yeah, okay, that would be a bigger blow. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll have to see. I'm, I, I think, uh, like you say, having, um, you know, for us, like Formula One is going to be expensive for us no matter what. You know, exactly. there's, there's not a local thing. I mean, you know, we went to the Detroit Grand Prix when it was IndyCar and whatnot, and that's like, hey, it's a local thing, and it was cheap enough, and whatever, you know, the tickets are there. It's, it's, all, it's all doable, and I guess for some people, Formula One is that. But for us, F1 has always been uh, a big expense and usually big travel and so on to to accommodate big that. Big time commitment, big right. financial commitment, et cetera, et cetera. And even the Texas race, of course, being two thousand miles away and all right. that. That's you know. Anyway, yeah. um, so that's we'll, we'll see how uh, um, if if things change. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm hopeful that through some kind of uh, strange balance of, of economics, that things could get better for fans in the stands. But we'll have to see if that happens. Yeah, and, and then, finally, yes, yeah. Sorry, we got one additional email, and it was from. Zed Leto or Zedlito, I have no idea. Uh, hello, my friends. Missing the Hungarian GP podcast. Such an eventful race. Would like to hear your thoughts on it. Best regards, Luis. Oh, well, there we go. Um, Luis, here you go. Okay, so prediction time and... Yet another hosing for anyone who thought <laughs> Hamilton would be on pole. Uh, you know, it's just uh, it's becoming a thing now that, uh, you know, you just you never know what you're going to go for and uh, or you do know what you're going to go for and you never know how it's going to end up. So uh, we had a lot of folks, uh, you know, in that same boat, including both you and I this weekend. Yes. Um, thinking that Hamilton would be on pole and he was far, far, far from it because we go by starting position. He was actually 22nd on the, not even on the grid, technically in the, in the pit lane, but you get the idea. It was bad for, um, uh, for the Hungarian race. Very true. Um, just looking at the results here, big shout out to Ann Shaw for predicting Rosberg on pole and Ricardo for the win for zero points. Only one person that did it. And that was Ann. and very, very well done to you. Very um, well done. Damien and lots and lots of others predicted Rosberg Rosberg for three points. That was a very solid uh, choice. Um, you and I both with in, we we tied for fiftieth place with lots of other people yes. for Hamilton Hamilton, uh, and uh, you know it, it kind of went on from there. So uh, lots and lots of people getting uh, uh, you know having issues there. Um, and then the other uh, hat tip of the week is to Michael Kernahan predicting Hamilton for pole, being very, very wrong, and Perez for the win for a total of 39 points. <laughs> That's a good one. That is a good one. Um, and uh, overall, though, uh, it must be said, shout-out to uh, Jim Lau. You, sir, are uh, massively ahead of both myself and Damien 
in 22nd place. Yeah, I lost 11 places, though. I was in 11th last time. I, jumped, I, I doubled my, uh, my position there, as it were, well, and sir, not in a good way. Damien is in 49th place, so you are still comfortably ahead of that. And I am certainly cruising in 113th place. <laughs> so, you know, things are going great. So there's that. So Hamilton, Hamilton. But uh, anyway, because you're in the lead and because I kind of jumped in and gave you kudos, now I want you to break first. So take that. I, I, I've been, I've been burned by this Hamilton poll thing. Uh, I've, every once in a while, I've gotten it right and gone Rosberg for poll and whatever. But um, I, I'm, I'm going to go Rosberg for poll. I just, I just think that's the safer, uh, safer way to be. Uh, you're going uh, safety first, huh? Yeah, I'm not. Um, I don't think Ricardo is going to repeat for a victory here. Um, I think it's it's Hamilton's time to be back on top, so I'm just I'm gonna go Rosberg Hamilton for this one. It's not the most exciting of predictions, but it is mine, and it is done. Well, I am going to shock and amaze you with my predictions. I bet it's Hamilton Hamilton. No. Oh, I'm shocked and amazed. I am choosing Valetary Botas to be on pole. Wow. And, even more bold, to win the race. I have a hard time uh, splitting between pole and win, which I know is ultimately uh, a failing. But, here's my thinking. The Williams car is very strong in a straight line, the higher speed stuff. We're going to... We're going to Spa. Which has a big straight line and a lot of higher speed stuff. Okay. And is this a track where Mercedes can stretch its legs and pull a big gap? Yeah, probably. But this could be maybe, just maybe, a track where Williams' strengths are even a tiny bit stronger. And maybe, just maybe, Botas is on form. And maybe, just maybe, Rosberg and Hamilton are having just enough infighting, rah, 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 that they... uh, Sabotage each other just the tiniest little bit enough to make this the most brilliant prediction ever. It could be. I mean, if it comes out right, then it's, it, it'll be up there in the uh, brilliant prediction ever category. Yes. Uh, that would be a first-time poll and first-time win for Valtteri Bottas, and that would be exciting. I don't think he's had poll, right? Uh, no, he's Massa been very close. had yeah. poll, but not, not Bottas. So, uh, both and Massa's actually had more than one. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so, but, you know, it's weird. It's like, hey, wait, I predicted for somebody else. It feels a little odd. Yeah, you're not going ham-ham here, and, uh, and that's that's crazy. And the fact of the matter is, actually, if for this upcoming Grand Prix, you're the only one to predict Hamilton doing anything in or pole position. Of the three of you, me, and the spreadsheet. Exactly right. Well, there you go. That's, that's bold by virtue of not being bold. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just, that is the kind of business I am in. Subtle boldness. I guess. There's uh, one more last-minute little feedback shout-out here. We did get a message from Derek Krulla on Facebook. Oh, um, what's up, Saying he's uh, curious to see if there will be any fallout and possible boycott of the Russian Grand Prix as a consequence of the shooting down of MH17. Oh, um, wow. Uh, because, you know, it's Malaysian flight, and obviously uh, Malaysia has a bigger presence than normal in Formula 1. Obviously, there's a Malaysian Grand Prix, but Petronas Oil sponsoring Mercedes, being the leading team and all that. There's sort of a lot of commercial interest and, and so on. Um and uh, so anyway, Derek's question is, is about that. And I think um, certainly Bernie Ecclestone has, has come out and said that, you know, they try to avoid politics in Formula One. I mean, there was a talk in Bahrain when there was the uprising in Bahrain a couple of years ago that. and so on. There was one time it was the, the race was canceled and the season started 
Um, you know, the season started later, and they talked about rescheduling by rain, and that got all weird. Um, but uh, I, I doubt it's going to happen at this point. Uh, I mean, I think that's uh, that was that was just yesterday, Monday, that he emailed that to us or, or Facebook message, whatever. But I feel like um, not to say that that's died down. I mean, there's certainly lots of lots of news going on and lots of craziness and, and whatnot. But um, I don't know. I guess it's it's tricky because you don't want to get um, you don't want F1 doesn't want to be seen endorsing anybody nor necessarily uh, you know making a political stand any you know one way or another. Yeah. So there's man, it's tough because it's it's not you know I don't know I don't want to get into it here anyway. It's 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 tough. I, I think probably it'll happen. Um, yeah, it's certainly it, out of our purview. If it doesn't happen, I think this could be one of those things uh, like, you know, Kimi Raikkonen getting his back surgery and leaving Lotus at the same time. Is it because he's not paid? No, it's because he needs back surgery. Yeah, it's like one of those things like if, if for some reason the Russian Grand Prix doesn't happen, it would it could very likely be put down legitimately to, oh, the circuit's not ready or something is wrong with the contracts. I mean, we've had the, you know, the Grand Prix of America not happen several times because of, you know, oh, it's just contractual issues and it's business stuff and it's they're, they're not boycotting New York or anything crazy. So I think something could come down where, um, you know, and of course it's on the calendar. It's all confirmed. It all should be happening. But um, if something happens, it probably won't be as clearly like F1 is taking a stand. We are boycotting this because of this. It would be much more of a soft kind of political correct like, oh, well, this is happening because of circumstances out of our control. And, you know, the circuit wasn't ready or some contracts couldn't be agreed to or whatever. Um, but uh, my guess, which is not you know, good for anything because I'm just a guy that's guessing, but is that it will happen, um, that the race will happen, that is, that there won't be a boycott, uh, and that hopefully, um, I, I guess the hope is that there aren't any, um, you know, protests or anything around the race that end up causing more hardship for people. Or, exactly. That's know. That would be my biggest concern is that the, you know, the West and a lot of Western interests are coming to Russia, and if there's some sort of support, you know, shown or even perceived towards Russia or towards Ukraine in an unseemly way that ends up resulting in backlash against people that really had nothing to do with it. That would be what's tragedy. I mean, the Malaysian thing, it's just, it's terrible. It's an absolutely terrible thing that happened. And, you know, it, it no one wants to, no one wants to deny or promote or do anything like that. But there is kind of a sense of you also don't want uh, single events to hinge upon, you know, bigger thing. You want the world to continue to operate. Right. I yeah. mean, God. Or, I just... or give bad guys more of an opportunity to get their point across than, exactly. than they already have or whatever. Exactly. So, anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a touchy thing, but I, I just wanted to uh, address that. So thank you, Derek, for, uh, for the message. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that um, – that the race does happen, but completely separately from the politics. You know, you just exactly. you hope that you have yes. a new race on the calendar, a new circuit. If there's new fans of Formula One, more people get to see it. You know, just like because F1 racing is a cool thing that we all enjoy, there should be more of it, not less. So, you know, I hope that it goes forward, but not not because you know no one is you know for you know tra- planes being shot down or anything like that, but just <laughs> separate from. Uh, separate from the politics of it, I hope that it can go on just because, you know, life should go on and, uh, and you know, that, you know, people should, you know, continue to uh, do good things that uh, help move the world forward. Um, and finally, since we're doing uh, fun little announcements like that, one thing that uh, I wrote on roadandtrack.com recently was about uh, a driver, a uh, racing friend of mine that I was reu- reunited with recently. 
His name's John Edwards. He was part of the Red Bulls Young Drivers training program the, uh, with the goal of getting an American in Formula One, which they did successfully do eventually with Scott Speed. He was in that program and uh, did that between 2005, uh, 2005 through 2007. And he definitely landed on his feet. He races sports cars here in the States. Phenomenal driver and uh, great guy. But anyway, it it just did a, I did a story on it recently. And my pitch to you guys to come read it is you can see pictures of me when I was 10 years younger and I didn't look gross and weird. You don't look gross and weird. Oh, right. So even less so than <laughs> back then. Anyway, it's it's just a fun little story. I'm so it's it. all about the looks with you, huh? It's yeah, just, it's all superficial. Hey, you know, boy named Robin. What are you gonna do? Gonna um, do? The uh, it's gonna be on the Facebook page, and it's gonna be uh, there to click. Do not please confuse that with uh, our episode 160 on the Facebook page. That is that is be definitely the cool big thing to talk about, right? But uh, it is going to be there, and it's worth talking about. And that's all I have to say about it. Alrighty, so it's a couple weeks still until we have the race at Spa. Um, we, depending on our schedules, may or may not be able to put together a proper mid-season update. We did a little bit of that this time, but uh, in years past we've had some fun with that. So if that's something people are excited about, then uh, feel free to let us know. Um, as you probably know for uh, listening for a while, funwithcars.com is the spot to go to comment on episodes. You can see all the old, I guess there's not much to look at, listen to all the old shows, see our <laughs> blog posts, see photos and stuff that we posted and things over time. And uh, certainly there are links to our Twitter and Facebook feed pages there as well. Man, that's hard for me to say every time. Facebook page. Uh, anyway. Facebook page. That's the one. All those consonants <laughs> in there just, just working together for you. Um, but uh, definitely thank you, as always, for listening. And uh, we will be back with us. Uh, you'll be back with us soon. And uh, until then, I am Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner. What? You wanted me to say something else?